Hello everyone, welcome to Breaking the Barrier, the podcast that hopes to inspire you to go above and beyond what you ever thought possible. My name's Zach, and that deafening silence you hear is the absence of Andrew. He's not here today, which means it's a solo episode, it's going to be a mini episode, we'll see how long we go. Uh, Nothing wrong with Andrew, he's just got some work stuff to do today, whereas I'm enjoying a long weekend here in Australia for the Australia Day public holiday. Um, So shout out to everyone enjoying that as well. Shout out to all our international listeners, wherever you may be. I'm told you do exist. Remember to like and subscribe the podcast, give us those five-star reviews, and help us maybe not get to the top of the rankings, but even just appear on them. That would be nice as well. And remember to say thanks to our sponsor, uh, Generation UCAN, the steady source of healthy energy. Andrew talks a lot about what they do. All I know is that they taste good and they make you feel good when you're in the middle of a long run. So go to Generation UCAN, uh, put in the code Breaking the Barrier for 15% off your first purchase, uh, and let us know what you like out of their bars and gels and other sort of shenanigans that they have. So with this episode, with this mini episode, uh, we thought it would be useful if I went and did the episode I promised Andrew about a month ago, which was a response to his gear breakdown. Uh, Go back and find that one where Andrew talks about all the different things that fall into his running gear. Uh, I've just come back from a shopping trip uh, to go off and get some new shoes, and so I'm definitely in gear mindset. So probably a good time for me to jump on and wax lyrical and give you my thoughts on you know what I like and what I use as part of my regular running program. Uh, Starting at the most important thing for a runner and the thing that we all obsess about, shoes. Uh, So I've done an episode in the past on shoes talking about the different styles, neutral, stability, talking about what you need for different types of running and everything so I won't go into all of that yet. Uh, If you want to hear more about shoes Go back and find that specific mini episode or any of the other times we talk about shoes. We tend to do it a lot on Breaking the Barrier. Um, When it comes to me personally, um, I tend to stick to two main brands. First of all, the old steadfast ASICs. Um, I use ASICs because I think they're great for stability. I think uh, all around, uh, regardless of whether or not it's specifically a stability shoe or a neutral shoe or or a cushioning shoe, I think their cushioning is pretty good anyway. And longevity as well. Uh, I'm a heavier runner, so you know I stand at about six foot three, 190 centimeters. Um, I weigh about a, you know anywhere between 85 and 90 kilograms, uh, depending on what I ate the night before. And so I tend to be pretty hard wearing on my footwear. And Asics tend to be the ones that last the longest. I can regularly get 640 odd kilometers, or I think it's about 400 miles out of a pair of Asics. And sometimes I won't even come close to that in other pairs. So so for me, ASICs are the way to go. They, they are a premium shoe. Um, I did find on my shopping trip today, the ASICs that I were looking for, they're not discounting them. I think ASICs have reached a point now where they know that they command a certain niche and brand loyalty in the market. And so once you've got that, think Apple, uh, you don't need to discount to get new customers. People are going to come and buy them because they know what they are. So I found today that you know the Kayanos, for instance, that are a year old at this point, very little discount on them. You know, maybe 15, 20% discount on a pair of shoe that is replaced by a whole brand new model uh, at the moment. And the other thing with, with ASICS shoes is that they all tend to be pretty similar. Um, I've had, I tend to use the Kayanos most regularly. 
I have used a Nimbus in the past or a G2 2000. They're all very similar. When it comes to weight, um, there's a little bit of difference in weight there, mainly due to the foam uh, and sort of, you know, the amount of compression that the foam will go through over time. Um, but apart from that, the materials are all very similar. ASICs tend to be a pretty chunky style of shoe. Um, you'd be hard pressed to put them side by side and be able to tell the difference between them um, without picking them up and actually having a look and feel. Very, very different to the other brand of shoes that I tend to run with most of the time, which are Nikes. Um, I really like Nikes because compared to the ASICs, they just all feel a lot lighter. Um, their style is a lot different. There's a much bigger range of different looks and feels and colorways. Uh, and I feel when I'm running with a Nike, the, the heel to toe transition, that pop you get when you're trying to work a little bit faster, um, I tend to get more out of that from a Nike. They do suffer compared to the ASICs in terms of a little less cushioning, so they can sometimes be a little bit harder on the legs. So I tend to save my ASICs for track work or shorter runs or more recovery runs, and then use my ASICs for the, the long runs or only hard um, work where I'm trying to do, say, tempo runs or something like that. Um, with Nikes, it's pretty obvious when you put them side by side um, to see the, the difference purely by the stack heights. And stack height is the amount of foam you see underneath the shoe. So when you look at uh, a Nike shoe from the side and you put a couple of models side by side, you'll start to notice the difference uh, in the stack heights between them that reflect the amount of cushioning that's underneath the heel. Uh, and they're also the collar, the collar that goes around the ankle on your foot and the tongue of the shoe. You can get a lot of difference there. You know, your more lightweight racing shoes are, are basically just a little bit of fabric um, versus your more all-round shoes or training shoes have a lot more padding there. Um, and, and because they do so many different versions of Nike shoes, very easy to get discounts on, on run out and sale for a lot of those. But the counterpoint to that is you might find a Nike brand that they try and they experiment with, but after a couple of years, it goes away. So Nike are always innovating. They'll always bring, hey, check this out. There's this new Nike shoe. And if it lands and it lasts and people like it, great. Other times it'll go away. And if you happen to like that particular model, well, well, bad luck on you. Whereas ASICs tend to stick to the same models again and again and again. Um, when, it, when it comes to, to Nikes, um, I tend to run in the Pegasus. They're a very well-performing shoe. They're called the, the workhouse with the workhorse with wings, meaning that they'll, they'll last for longer runs. They're quite durable, but they have a little bit of pop to them. I've also used their Infinity Run for more long runs and then their Renew Run for recovery runs. The Renew Runs have a lot more foam underneath. The emphasis is really on cushioning. Uh, ironically, Nike do do a shoe called the Miler, which is meant to be for ultra long running or long distances or those long runs uh, with a bit of pace behind them. I've found that the longevity of the Nike Miler is terrible. I've never been able to get more than, say, 400 kilometers out of them, which is pretty bad considering the price point that they've been at. Uh, and it wouldn't surprise me if the Nike Miler is one of those shoes where they do three or four models of and then you just never hear from them about. Uh, again, another model of Nikes that I've heard really good things about from people who have run in them is the Invincible series. Uh, they're meant to be quite good. And again, they're a, a shoe designed for performance over a long run. And obviously, we've heard Andrew talk about his, you know, quite serious condition of being obsessed by the Alpha and Vaporfly models, the carbon shoes that Nike have. Uh, I will definitely be checking those out, I think, later in this year. I've got no need 
for a carbon fiber performance shoe this start of the year. Every, all of my emphasis is on long trail runs and technical terrain runs uh, for the next couple of months. So I don't really need a performance speed shoe like an Alpha or a Vaporfly, but I've got it marked in the calendar in August. I think I'm gonna go buy a pair of those and check them out in Sydney uh, in September and then Melbourne in October and a couple of marathon races and see what they do for me. So uh, Alpha and Vaporfly, definitely in my future um, for me as well. In terms of other shoes, uh, Adidas, I went to the Adidas store today. They all look the same. None of them really looked like running shoes. Um, Adidas, I don't know, maybe it was just the store I'm in, but Adidas seems like a sports style casual shoe now. Uh, I'm just not able to see anything there that would really inspire me to put them on my feet and, and give them a go for any sort of long distance running at all. Uh, I went to the Sassoni store. I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh, Sokoni, Sassoni, Sassikadikadiki. One of those is right. Choose the one you like. They looked more running style, uh, looked a lot more like the range of shoes you would get uh, at a Nike store with that, you know, that pointed, focused running profile. But I could just simply not tell the difference between the models because I just don't know the brand at all. So, you know, haven't uh, really dipped my toe into the, the well there. You sort of look at it and go, even if you walk in there and there seems to be a high priced shoe on sale, the recommended retail price for these shoes often start off as something ridiculous and they're marked down straight away. So getting a Sasoni shoe for $160 instead of $320, is that a good deal? I don't know, because I don't know the brand that much. Um, I've, I've messed around in the past with Brooks and I know a lot of people like Brooks and they also like um, Mizano. There are other shoes that I've worn in the past. Honestly, they feel a little bit like Asics to me in terms of if you like Asics, you run with Asics. If you like Brooks, you run with Brooks. If you like Mizano, you run with Mizano. People tend to stick to them, but whenever I've tried them, they all seem the same. You know, a, a relatively heavy shoe, a relatively chunky, cushiony shoe, um, not, necessarily, not necessarily something you wear for, for super performance or track work. Uh, two shoes that I've not really tried is uh, On Shoes and Hoka Shoes. Those are two brands that are extremely divisive when you talk to their supporters and detractors. My one tip with those is try before you buy. Go check it out at a proper running store. Get fitted before you look at those. But for me, when I start at the feet, if you look at my feet, 99% of the time it's going to be a boring ASICS that you won't be able to tell what type of model it is or it's going to be some sort of funky bright Nike shoe that you're going to say, oh, wow, what's that? Um, so those are my, my picks for shoes. Um, Within shoes, I'm pretty basic when it comes to socks. Uh, I tend to stick with two times U socks. So two times U socks are an Australian brand. Um, they're excellent. They do cushioning, they do low profile. Um, they're just absolutely amazing in terms of what they can offer you and, and what they can do. So I really, really like uh, two times U socks. I tend to wear longer socks that go over the ankle and you know, sort of crew length or three quarter length, I think they're called. I tend to do those on longer runs, um, or especially when I'm doing trails. Whenever I'm doing trails, I tend to go longer so that you don't, when you clip your, when you clip your ankle with your other shoe or you go past a bush or something like that, um, you really wanna have a longer sock to protect your ankles then. For any sort of, um, you know, shorter training run or track work, I'll go with a shorter sock, you know, a, a no-show sock or a sock below the ankle. Um, but I'm also a cyclist and cyclists are preconditioned or taught that you never wear socks that go below the ankle when you're in cycling shoes or something like that. We've always got socks that go halfway up our leg when we're cycling. And so because of that, I tend to go with more longer socks. I used to be obsessed 
by the two times U compression socks that went all the way up to the knees. I wore those a lot when I was coming back from my Achilles injury and I thought they were fantastic. But the one thing I found with them is, you know, you get a little bit addicted to them. And so uh, it became a little bit psychological with me. And also they're really hot. They're really warm to run in. And I've noticed more and more people moving away from the long socks these days. Trail runs, yes, absolutely. Uh, long compression socks in a trail run setting, I would definitely go for, especially if you're talking about an ultra uh, of 50 kilometers or so, I'd go with those. But nowadays, in you know, even in a marathon distance, if it's a road marathon in a summer month, I wouldn't bother going with the super long compression socks anymore. I'd just go with a basic pair of cushioned 2XU socks you can get the Nike socks, you can get any sort of version of socks, but 2XUs, um, I really, really stand by them. They are a bit more expensive, but I think they're, they're worth the money. I also use 2XU when it comes to compression shorts. Uh, compression shorts are shorts that go underneath your undershorts, your other shorts, um, and that's really important, gentlemen. It's really important that if you are going compression shorts, compression shorts are in addition to another pair of shorts. Compression shorts on their own are not shorts. We need to see those modesty shorts over the top, please. For two reasons, either to protect the rest of us by the generous manly bulge that you have, or more importantly, to hide the fact that you don't have a generous manly bulge. So when you do wear compression shorts, uh, make sure that you're wearing some modesty shorts over the top, please. Uh, compression shorts, I find, are essential for me to prevent chafing. Again, uh, I'm a bigger running, so I tend to get a bit of thigh on thigh action, which after 20 kilometers, 25 kilometers, can definitely leave its mark. And it also makes a difference to recovery. Having some compression shorts on during the runs, I find I pull up a little bit better the next day uh, when it comes to recovery after long runs. I've also got the habit of, if I go out and do an especially hard long run, I'll throw some compression tights on afterwards to try and help compress the muscle and get some blood movement going. Uh, so compression shorts for long runs are definitely something that I would use. Again, I'm not using it on a 5K recovery run. I'm not using it at track work. Uh, I, I would go with compression tights in the winter months, and I'll talk a little bit about cold weather gear in a second. Uh, but most of the time, uh, it's you know compression shorts are for races uh, and events like that. Uh, in terms of the shorts that I wear over the top or that I wear normally, there's two things I look for um, when I'm picking up a pair of shorts to try and see whether or not I'm interested in them. The first thing is, do they have an inner pocket in them or some sort of pocket that I can throw something into? Normally it's my keys, sometimes it's a gel or a packet of tissues or something like that. But at the very, very least, a little inner pocket where if I head out the door and I just want to throw my keys in there, I can put them in there and they won't bounce around. So something where the pocket will sit against the body and it's not bouncing around or, or creating a jingling noise or something like that. And the other thing I look for in all shorts I buy is the fitted little briefs inside them. Uh, again, to stop some bouncing around. So I'm not a huge fan of running with underwear with shorts. I much prefer the shorts to have the, um, the fitted pouch that I can sit everything inside and then have the shorts over the top. When you wear compression shorts underneath, it's obviously a little bit different, but for 90% of the runs that I'm doing where I'm running without compression shorts underneath, I still want those fitted briefs so that everything isn't um, moving around too much side to side, up, down, back, front. 
uh, and I can avoid having to wear underpants or anything under there as well. Uh, when, when it comes to short lengths, uh, I tend to run three different lengths to, to the delight of everyone uh, at my local track. When I go and do any track work in the summer months, I'm sporting a very short pair of three inch shorts, uh, which are again on someone who's you know quite tall. Those are short shorts and they will be commented upon. Uh, and you've got to be really, really careful uh, that there's not too much side-to-side bouncy-bouncy action when you're in those short works or when you're doing your stretching work afterwards, that everything stays sort of under the covers. So short three-inch shorts for track work in summer. My normal short length is we're talking about a five to six-inch short. That's a great general all-rounder. Uh, and then when I go off and I do trail work uh, or some long runs where I'm not wearing compression shorts underneath, but I'm worried about chafing, I'll wear a longer, say an eight inch short. Uh, and an eight inch short is great if you're going away on holidays. You take eight inch shorts with you, you do your runs in them, but then you can also wear them down to the beach or they're a little bit more socially acceptable to wear when you're doing casual wear, those longer shorts. Uh, the most important thing is with shorts, you always wanna get those um, dry wicking technologies. You never wanna get cotton shorts. Um, they're just gonna get heavy and sweat laden and we'll talk about that a little bit as more. And also, try and go for dark colours. White shorts are only for away football games. They're not for running in. Um, you want to try and go your blacks, your dark blues, maybe a grey, although that can also be dodgy depending on if and how you sweat. So shorts should always be dark colours. Um, and yeah, think about um, at the start of the run, not how they feel then. Think about how they're going to feel after 8 kilometres, 12 kilometres. I've got some shorts that feel absolutely amazing at the start. And then after about an hour or so, they're starting to ride up. And once the short starts to ride up, it will never again go down. You can tug it and pull it and push it down as much as you like. The shorts that go up will stay up. So you'll learn pretty quickly which brands and which fits for you work and don't work. If you find a pair of shorts that work for you, go out and buy two more pairs straight away. Never, ever assume that the next pair of shorts you buy from the same company will fit the same as the ones you like. Now, uh, on top of shorts, because unlike Andrew, I can never run shirtless. Uh, I like my cake and pasta way too much for that. Uh, my tops are never, ever cotton. Uh, regardless of what I'm wearing, if I'm doing any running work at all, uh, we are not talking about a cotton t-shirt. We're talking about some dry wicking technology in 99% of cases. And in 1% of cases, if I'm doing any sort of really cold weather ultra work um, or super cold weather recovery work, I might go like a wool or a merino thermal. But we are talking about the most exceptional of exceptional cases and chances are I'm not running. That's more of a hiking event. Um, I do like singlets for track work. Again, gets very, very hot here in Melbourne, sometimes quite humid. So for track work with my super short shorts, I figure I've already committed to that, so I might as well get the guns out as well and put a singlet on. But I'd never, ever wear a singlet uh, with a vest when doing any sort of trail work because that's just a, a ticket to invite chafing of some description. However, you can get those broader muscle tops that have the broader shoulders. They're like a t-shirt with the sleeves cut off. They can work well for trail runs uh, with when you've got a vest on or something like that. Uh, but normally if I'm doing say a trail run with a vest, then I'll be wearing like a smaller, tighter t-shirt underneath the vest and then saving my looser t-shirts for other times such as normal long recovery runs. Uh, I, I can't remember the last time I went out and had to think about buying a branded t-shirt 
uh, most of the time you know one or two times a year there's an event that i'm going to that's either handing out a t-shirt as part of entry or the event itself is something that i've never done before so i want to get some souvenir of it and so i'm buying an event t-shirts and most event t-shirts these days are pretty good they're going to be some sort of dry wicking uh, athletic technology and so you can use them again and again so i don't really have you know a recommendation uh, for any particular brand when it comes to to tops or t-shirts uh I have a couple of long sleeve t-shirts, but I rarely ever wear them. Um, it would have to be negative or very low single digits for me to wear a long sleeve t-shirt. You always need to assume that once you start running, the temperature is going to be at least 10 degrees more than whatever it is when you start. Uh, sometimes if it's super windy, uh, a gillard, which is like a vest that can use to keep the wind out, that can be quite useful. But again, I'd only do that if we were talking about a really, really super slow recovery run or a run that involved a lot of hiking. Um, you know, wearing layers at the start of a cold run can be great, but you've got to be prepared to take those layers off. And as we'll talk about in a second, you've got to work out, well, what are you going to do with those layers once you've taken them off? Um, in terms of winter, the thing that I often need most of all is some gloves. So your fingers and trying to keep your fingers dry and warm at the start of long runs when you're warming up or you're still getting going. Your fingers will take a lot longer to get warm than your body will. Your body will warm up within a kilometer or so. Your fingers can take quite a bit longer. Uh, but once your fingers warm up, then you're gonna have to find something to do with those gloves as well. Um, and so most of the time, uh, I would recommend when you're in winter and you're doing some sort of running, unless you're doing loops and you're running back this past the same spot every I don't know, five to seven kilometers every half an hour to 45 minutes or so, unless you're doing that uh, in winter, you're probably going to be benefiting from taking some sort of vest with you uh, and just chucking your stuff in there. If you're training for an ultra, that's great because it gets you used to carrying stuff in the vest, stopping and getting changed, moving stuff around. Um, if you're doing it just you know for more social stuff, it's just a lot easier. You know we've all tried that thing of you know take the gloves off and stick it into your shorts and then take your long sleeve t-shirt off and tie it around your waist and the next thing you know things are bouncing everywhere and it's getting really really annoying. So you know you know buy a vest, um, carry it empty, uh, and throw everything into the back of the vest as you go uh, so that you can do those winter long runs not be freezing at the start, but also not be completely sweating and overheating uh, at the end of them. Uh, and the other thing is when you're running with a vest, that means you can carry some bladders, some water bladders or some water bottles with you, which you still need in winter. You definitely need in summer to carry that water. If you're going off and doing trail runs or runs that don't have water stations along the way, that's going to be really, really useful. Uh, I have two vests. I have a a Solomon vest, my emotional mixed relationship with that vest has been well documented on this podcast uh, in the past. It's a, it's a necessary evil for me because for those one or two events a year where I do need to carry a lot of stuff, the Solomon vest is invaluable. Um, the rest of the year, uh, I absolutely uh, detest it um, <laughs> for how inflexible it is. It's, it's great at one thing, and that one thing, which is carrying a lot of gear but not a lot of water, is a very specialized uh, point in time, which I very rarely need to do. So most of the time, I prefer my Osprey vest. My Osprey vest is a much more traditional vest. It's, a, it's only a 1.5 liter vest, whereas my Solomon vest is a 10 liter vest. Uh, so the Osprey vest is a lot more constrained in terms of what it can carry, but it's a lot more traditional. It's a lot more 
fitted shape. Uh, it carries bottles, it carries bladders, it's got little hooks and stuff to hang everything off. Um, and everything's nice and tight and compact where I wear it. Versus the Solomon vest, which is kind of like the TARDIS. You can throw whatever you want into it, um, but it's a lot bigger on the inside than it looks. And everything tends to bounce around and move around a lot more. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I need my Solomon vest. I definitely use it quite a lot. Um, but, you know, when it's completely packed and loaded up and I'm carrying a whole bunch of stuff around, I love it. Uh, the rest of the time when I'm doing more moderate runs, not carrying as much stuff, uh, I kind of sit there and go, man, I wish I'd bought a slightly different version of this model. And, and the, you know, the fabric is amazing. So I don't think it's necessarily the Solomon product itself. I think it's the version of the Solomon product that I got. I should, I should have bought a different model and done my research a little bit differently. Probably a tip to go when you're doing your first investment uh, or you're doing investment in a piece of kit like a vest that is going to last you years and years and years. You buy a pair of shoes, you run on them enough, six months later you won't need them anymore. You buy a vest, vests aren't just going to wear out. You're going to be stuck with it for a while. So maybe vests are something where you definitely need to go check them out in person and talk to someone before you do it. Um, the other thing I use to carry gear around when I'm not taking a vest uh, is I've got some, some running belts. I've got two running belts now of, of two different styles. One is your more traditional clip-together running belt that's adjustable, so it's elastic straps that you can pull tighter or looser. Um, and then I've got a stretch belt, which is like a one-size-fits-all belt that you kind of get at a size where when you put it on, it sits tight on, on your body. I'm finding that that stretch belt, that flip belt material um, is even after a couple of runs uh, is a little bit too loose to me. I, you know, it's things in it tend to bounce around quite a lot. I like the adjustable belt that you can clip together and tighten up depending on how your body's feeling that day. Uh, sometimes my body feels like it's filling the stretch belt out quite a lot. Other times my body feels like the stretch belt is a little bit loose on me. Uh, with the adjustable belt, I can you know clinch it a little bit tighter or back it off if I need to. The stretch belt is kind of you know where it is and what it is. And so that sort of depends on the day. Um, but if I'd gone a size smaller on the stretch belt, well, then I definitely wouldn't be able to wear it uh, on those days where I'm feeling a little bit more full. And, and the stretch belts or these uh, belts uh, can carry a whole bunch of stuff. You should be able to get one that can carry a phone, uh, a couple of gels. I always run with a packet of tissues, a packet of travel tissues. You never know what's going to happen when you're out there on a run of any sort of length and duration or you know where you might find yourself caught short of a bathroom or if you go to a bathroom, you might find that the bathroom is lacking all the equipment that you need. So a pair of travel tissues is the way to go uh, and also being able to throw some headphones in there. Uh, often when I do a race, I will run with my phone and my headphones but not use them for the first half of a race and then put them on in the second half of a race to give myself a bit of a boost. Um, so having something that's big enough to carry a phone and some headphones is important. When you're, when you're running with a vest, that's not a problem because you've got pockets all over the place. But when you've got a, a stretchy belt, you need to sort of work out, well, how are you going to do that? Um, and so a belt that you can put all of those pieces of equipment I just named into can be very, very useful. Uh, and then I think we're at the top right now. Let me just think shoes, socks, shorts, tops, belts. Yep, hats. We're up to hats now. Uh, so with hats, now that I have hair again, and it's not that I was bald and suddenly I've managed to, to regrow hair. It's just I've had my hair cut very, very short for the last few years and now I'm growing it out a bit longer. And so now that I've got hair again, I'm tending to go with a visor 
uh, with my hair sticking out the top and the visor mainly focused on protecting my forehead uh, and my nose and sort of my eye area. Uh, the reason why I didn't like visors when my hair was very short is I've, I've got a bit of a, uh, it's not receding hairline, but it's what I think is called a widow's peak. Uh, and so what would happen is I put the visor on, but then I'd have these little widow's peaks sticking out over the top of the visor. And depending on how my sun lotion application went, I'd sometimes end up with these little tan horns where the sun visor would leave a white band across my forehead. But then my tan line would give me these little horns uh, up into my widow's peak. So now that I've got hair, that all sort of covers itself and I can wear a visor with a little bit more comfort and confidence that I'm not going to have that unsightly tan line appear. Uh, before that, when I had the hair really, really short, and because the hair was really, really short, it was more likely that the sun would hit it, uh, and I was wearing a hat. Uh, and my rules for a hat is it's either got to be like a super wickable, breathable, dry hat technology, or you want to get a trucker hat with the inbuilt mesh so you can get the airflow going through. Um, never ever wear a headband when you're running. Just know it's not a good look from a fashion perspective. It doesn't do anything to keep the sun off your face. Um, it's just going to get sweaty and wet. You're going to think it's working right up until the point it isn't working. And then it's just gonna start sending all this sweat and gunk down your head. You can never wear a sweat band more than once you've got to stop it and wash it straight away and we know that we're all disgusting individuals who don't do that we tend to leave our gear like our hats and our belts and our vests way too long before we wash them if you're someone who's washing all of that gear after every run congratulations i tip my hat to you um, because often i'm too lazy to do that and so sometimes i just sort of wait until you know you pick some of that gear up and you go oh that's still a little bit damp isn't it or ooh. I can smell that, that's not great. That tends to be my signal that some of this gear needs to be washed. You'll never be like that with a sweatband. A sweatband you will just need to either wash or burn after every time you wear it. Um, so, so don't do a headband uh, or a sweatband. Uh, visor if you can, visors are great because they're lightweight, uh, but hats definitely offer uh, more protection. Um, either way, you still need sunscreen. You need sunscreen for the top of your ears, you need sunscreen for the back of your neck. The beauty of wearing a hat or a visor is you can avoid putting sunscreen on your forehead area, which means when you're sweating, there's less chance of sweat with sunscreen dripping down into your eyes, which can be an enormous problem for your vision and you know blinking and, oh my God, I got sunscreen in my eyes when I'm running. So that's why you know I'd like to use a hat or a visor to avoid the need to have to sunscreen up my forehead. Um, and then finally, I guess when you're talking about gear, it's, it's all, what's all the other stuff? Um, that I would think about or need to look for when I'm planning to go out for a run. The first one, and, and honestly, probably, apart from shoes and the need to comply with public nudity regulations, the thing I look for after all of that uh, is going to be my watch. And so different watches are like religions. Everyone has their own and they will not hear a bad word against it or a good word for another. So I'm a Garmin watch guy. Uh, I've had a couple of Garmin's now. I'm using a Forerunner 935 at the moment. It's amazing. It does everything you want. Uh, the only thing wrong with my Garmin watch is that it's not the latest Garmin watch because every time Garmin bring out a new watch, it seems like they've done titanium this or solar power that or the battery life is now 17 years or, you know, the, the only watch better than your watch is a brand new Garmin watch. Um, and so 
Garmin watches are bulletproof though. Like it's a long time before uh, one of them will break and, and half the time they don't break. You just get sick of dealing with whatever little niggle they've got and use that as justification to buy the next one. So, so I strongly go for a Garmin watch. When it goes to headphones, you know, wireless headphones have the disadvantage of needing to be charged and running out of battery, but they're so much more convenient than trying to do any sort of long run with corded headphones. And most of the time these days, uh, phones don't have headphone jacks that you can use anyway, so wireless headphones are your only option. I would say though, uh, you can try doing running with earbuds or you know those wireless headphones that just stick into the ear and that's it. I would hate, just like I dropped my stylus pen then, and you all probably heard that, I would hate to drop my headphones in the middle of a trail run or in the middle of a marathon starting corral. You'll never see them again. Uh, so that's why whenever I do wireless, headband, wireless headphones, I get the ones that are linked together. So if they pop out of one ear, chances are they're at least attached in another ear uh, and so you can catch them and not lose them uh, because you know some of those wireless headphones can be pretty expensive especially if you get the ones that seal into the air ears really well and so you don't want to lose those uh, and then something which i think about which you know andrew has not had to think about that much is some of these ultra events insist on you taking mandatory gear and that mandatory gear can include things like um, specific bandages that are called snake bandages or if you get bitten whilst you're out in the outback you can put these bandages on and they compress everything to try and slow the snake venom uh, a sharpie pen so that when you get bitten by a snake you can write on the bandage what time you were bitten so that when people come to rescue you they know uh, how long you they have until the poison really starts to take effect isn't doing running in the Australian outback fun folks um, something else which you need to take with you is a space blanket. So if you get stranded or collapsed or have a shock event uh, in the middle of nowhere, you can put a space blanket on you to keep warm. Uh, a poncho to keep you dry. Again, if you fall into trouble overnight or in wet weather, um, you want to do something to try and prevent hypothermia creeping in. Uh, often they will tell you that you need to carry a phone. Uh, and often they will say that the phone needs to be something that can have network coverage here in Australia. Uh, that tends to be a recommendation that you go for Telstra because they tend to have broader network coverage than other companies. In America or other countries, there may be a network provider who they recommend for ultra trail events. And so that might mean you need to get a temporary SIM card um, to let you do that event so that you've got the coverage for what they need. Um, you're always going to need some gels or something for your fuel. Uh, tissues, like I said, always carry tissues just in case, uh, and also carry wet wipes. Um, sometimes, when again, when you're out on the trails and you need to go, uh, sometimes some wet wipes would be useful. Or when you get to an aid station, wet wipes are good just to try and clean the face off, clean off old sunscreen, put on new sunscreen, uh, clean off old glide stuff or anti-chafing cream and put on new stuff. Um, some wet wipes in your pack can be useful. Any of this stuff could also be in your gear bag that you dump at gear stops as well, but carrying some of it in your pack can be useful. Uh, a collapsible plastic cup. So go to a camping store and get a collapsible plastic cup that compresses into a little disc. More and more events are doing away with plastic cups or paper cups and making you carry your own. 
Uh, and to be honest, for the couple of seconds it takes you to stop at an aid station and fill that cup up and get going versus the environmental impact of plastic cups, uh, I know which one I prefer. Uh, I, I also carry, whenever I'm doing runs, in, in addition to the snake bandages, I carry uh, sort of normal sticky bandages. I carry big, wide fabric ones. Um, I don't want to carry 50 different types of bandages for every sort of thing that can happen under the sun. Most things that happen, be it a blister or a graze or a fall and a cut or whatever, just get one of those big fabric bandages, whack it on over the area. That will get you to the next aid station or the end of the race, and then you can look after it properly. Uh, but in the middle of the event, you don't want to be messing around with tiny little plastic bandages. You want to be able to pull something off with, you know, with shaky, tired hands, whack it on over the top of an injury and keep going. Uh, and again, sometimes depending on the event that you're doing, they will make it mandatory for you to carry a jacket. They'll make it mandatory for you to carry a beanie or a buff or some sort of insulated head warmer. Uh, trekking poles are something that some people might need to carry. And that's where you want to think about with your vest, uh, how big it is to, to carry those poles when you're not using them. So the list of gear um, that I think about in some of the ultra events I do can go on and, and on and on. I tend to have just sitting in my running drawer, I've got a little gear pack ready to go. So whenever I'm heading off to do anything by myself or with a couple of other people that involves anything semi, even semi-serious trail running, um, I'm grabbing a little plastic bag that's got some bandages in it, it's got a space blanket, it's got some um, uh, antiseptic wipes, it's got a sharpie, it's got a poncho. It's not big, we're talking about, you know, maybe the size of a, a small notebook um, in, in, in spatial area and a little bit thicker than that, but it can slip into the back of any of my vests. And I just know I've got that covered if, if something happens. Uh, and then the final gear piece, um, because, you know, think about it, you're wearing brightly colored shoes, you've got some, some long compression socks on, you've got some compression shorts sticking out underneath some tiny, tiny running shorts, you're wearing an event t-shirt, um, that's been stained and pulled. You've got a vest on that's got a whole bunch of gear hanging off it uh, as if you're a military person. Who knows what sort of hat you're wearing. You might have zinc all over your nose. Uh, you look pretty dorky as a runner at times and that's where the final piece of gear that I always look for is a pair of sunglasses to hide my identity as much as possible. Uh, not that I'm doing much incognito, again, loping along the trails at my height and my size, but uh, a pair of good sunglasses, uh, plastic molded sunglasses. You don't want any sunglasses with metal frames or metty bits that can bend or break. You just want basic plastic molded sunglasses. Try and get polarized sunglasses. That'll make a big difference for you um, when you're doing some trail running and going between trees and light and so forth. Um, choose whatever brand you want. Uh, again, don't spend too much on them because you're going to sit on them or lose them or scratch them. But also, uh, don't be afraid to spend a little bit more than you'd think. Don't, don't get the, it's like buying a bottle of wine. Don't get the cheapest bottle of wine. Don't get the most expensive one. Get the third cheapest. Third cheapest bottle of wine, third cheapest sunglasses. That's my, my final tip for you, dear listener. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that. Um, interesting to go back and see if any of you have anything between this episode and Andrew's episode that you would recommend additionally or instead of what we've done. We always love to hear and talk about 
any strong perspectives people have about this sort of stuff and also learn from it because you know not any of us know everything about everything and so we'd love to hear you if you've got a point of view and share it with us apart from that uh, we should be back to you next week with a joint episode Andrew I think has a race coming up uh, the first in a series of races uh, and then after that pretty quickly we'll be through the month of February and we'll be into March and I've got a couple of massive events coming up in March back to back to back uh, so we look forward to talking to you about how the training is going getting ready for that but until then dear listener thanks for your time thanks for tuning in we'll see you on the roads the trails and the treadmills uh, from the breaking the barrier podcast hope to inspire you to go above and beyond what you ever thought possible i don't know andrew normally says a bunch of stuff at the end he's normally the one who does the wrap up Uh, i guess i'll just say we'll catch you next time